Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. You'll be seated. Good to see you this morning. Let me uh, ask you to take your copy of God's Word, begin to find the epistle of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And while you do, let me remind you, last week I said two things, two statistics that I want to remind you of. The first statistic, we're going to put them on the screen for you to write down, and that is this. 82% of unchurched people, that's people who don't go to church. And, and by the way, the unchurched means either don't go to church because they've never been to church, or it means they've been disenfranchised at church. That is, that something has happened along their journey even in church, they got upset. Somebody said something wrong to them, you know, and they've left church. They're unchurched. These are unchurched people said that they, they at least would go to church if somebody would just invite them. Think about that. If somebody would just invite them. And we talked last week about the statistical numbers being high that we don't even invite people to church. We're not inviting people to Jesus and we're not inviting people to church. And so, you know, what a great season of year to think about Easter, an opportunity for us to be able to go out and invite people to church. And, you know, we talk about resources and tools all the time about how to reach people, but the greatest resource and the number one resource, put it on the screen there, number one and most effective resource tool in reaching people is you. One-on-one personal invitation. When I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I came to know him through Marina and her family one-on-one interaction, through time, through prayer, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I was telling somebody the other day, it was amazing, December of 1984, I gave my life to Christ and he saved me and redeemed me and then shortly after called me. And uh, I didn't answer the call right away, went in the Air Force and spent eight years there until God could work on me and get me out so he could get me in the pulpit to preach. And so, uh, you know, I had a definitive call. I knew exactly what God was calling me to. Um, but it was through one-on-one personal contact. And everybody that I've talked to, most of the people that I've ever talked about their salvation experience, they've had some kind of experience one-on-one with somebody along their journey to bring them to an understanding of the gospel by which God could use that understanding of the gospel. The Holy Spirit can bring them into salvation. So, One-on-one personal contact is so crucial. It's so important. And with Easter being three weeks away, we have a grand opportunity to ask people and invite them to come to church. Now, listen, let me remind you, the whole purpose of inviting people to church is not a substitute to inviting them to Jesus, right? Inviting them to church is so that you know, at least when they come to church and sit on these pews, somewhere along the sermon, they're going to hear the gospel. We're going to tell them how Jesus came and died for their sin because they were separated from God. They were wicked in their sin. They were no hope of changing their situation. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, paid the debt, justified them, reconciled them to the Father. By his resurrection, made justification possible. We're going to tell the gospel. So inviting people to church is so that they'll get the opportunity to hear the gospel. So we're going to help you out a little bit. All right? That's what we're doing. Now, if you want to go ahead and just jump the gun and give them the gospel, that's even better than inviting them to church. Amen? Tell them about Jesus. No greater story to tell than Jesus. Amen? You can tell them all day long about our church, how beautiful your pastor is. You know, 
how great of a preacher he is, you know, how great of a musician. And we got on stage with our worship team. You can tell about all that stuff. But the reality is if they know all that stuff, but never find Jesus, then we've wasted our breath. We wasted our opportunity, our time. Okay. So I want you to think about this for a minute. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little exercise this morning. And you're saying, oh boy, here we go. Uh, we're going to preach. I promise we're going to get to the preaching in just a minute, but here's, you know, what I asked you to do last week was think about that one person. That one person that we prayed for earlier in the service. Now, here's what I want you to do. We haven't done this in a long time, so we're going we're gonna to hopefully make this work, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find your, your phone right now and pull it out. Find your phone and pull it out. Find your phone and pull it out. Now, hopefully that one person you're praying for is in your contact list. And if they're not in your contact list, certainly there's one person in your contact list that you know is unchurched. And here's what I want you to do right now. Don't wait till after service. If you don't do it now, you won't do it. I want you to text that individual that you have on your list and invite them to church on Easter Sunday, by the way, which is April Fool's Day. So it's April the 1st at 1030, 10.30 a.m. We're not going to change the service time because the last time we tried to change the service time, everybody got confused. We're not going to confuse anybody. It's going to stay 1030, all right? So right now, text that individual. I'm going to give you two minutes. Teenagers are already done. See, they got it done. They're fast. They, they got it down. So just text that one individual and tell them, tell them you'd like for them to come to church, by the way, with you on Easter Sunday. All right, with you on Easter Sunday, April 1st at 1030. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't that feel great to be able to use technology to tell people or to invite people to church? That's pretty easy to do, isn't it? I mean, you're not one-on-one. It's not intimidating. You can, you know, people send texts all the time where they get on Facebook and rant and rave about stuff because it's easier to do that on social media than face-to-face tell somebody something. So you hopefully have an opportunity to do that. Now, let me remind you again, we're inviting these people for the opportunity for the gospel. That's all we're doing, okay? We're not trying to substitute the gospel by church attendance. By the way, if that's why you're here, you're thinking you're saved through your church attendance, you're, you're, you're going up the wrong river, Okay. Uh, you need to stop because you're on some very dangerous rapids. You're like on a, a number five rapid. You need to change course, okay? You need to repent of your sin and you need to turn to the Savior because that's where true salvation is found, not in church attendance, amen? So, so please don't think church attendance is where we're trying to get a bunch of people just in church and cram church on Easter so that you know we just have a lot of people and say, well, we had a lot of people on Easter. Now, it'd be great to have a, have a full house on Easter, right? It'd be great to have to have an overflow room and all that great stuff. But the reality is what's greater is an opportunity to tell them about the love of Christ for them, all right? That's the purpose behind all we're doing. Now, today what I want to do is we, we're, we're doing this little sermon series called Reach One. And that's what we talked about last week was reaching one person, that's the, today's theme, reaching one person. But today what I want to do is I want to talk about a strategy. How, how is it that we reach people? Because I think oftentimes we forget what the strategy is. We hear sermons all the time, you know, about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We, we talk about that all the time, you know. But how, how is the strategy to be? What is our strategy in reaching people? And so Paul lays down for us, I believe, a strategy to help us to reach people. And we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning down in verse 19 through verse 23. These are short verses. And we're going to just look at three major things that he tells us that we ought to do to help as a strategy to reach other people, that is unchurched people, lost people who do not know the gospel with the gospel. So what's our strategy? So Paul gives that to us. Look at 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with me in verse 19. I'm going to read the text, and then I'll break it down for you, okay? Listen to what he says. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. Verse 20, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. He says, to those who are under the law, he says, is under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those, verse 21, who are without the law as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, verse 22, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. It's important. Underline those words. That's the title of the message today, for the gospel's sake. He says that I may be partaker of it with you. So here is Paul giving us the idea on how you and I can reach people with the gospel. And so he gives us this threefold, I think, strategy. And I want to give that to you because I think it's so important that we understand that we have a better opportunity today than there's ever been to win people for Christ. There, there, you know, I hear people all the time saying, well, evangelism's dead. We, we can't get people to respond. That's just a lie. And the reason why people don't respond is because it's through the foolishness of preaching. That is not what I'm doing this morning, but through the foolishness of preaching, that is by telling the proclamation of the gospel that people get saved. So the problem is not that people are not getting saved. The problem is that the church is not giving the gospel. Does that make sense? So it's, so people have the same opportunity today that they've always had to get saved, but even greater so because we have so many tools that we can use to preach the gospel to them. We got Facebook, we got Twitter, you got Tumblr, you got all these other tools and resources that are out there. Your phone is a great resource to text, email. Of course, nobody emails hardly anymore unless you're in the work environment. Nobody really emails much. But, you know, you use your phone. You use different ways that you can communicate with people to be able to reach them with the gospel of Christ. So we have so many resources to help us. So the, so the Apostle Paul says, what do we do with these resources? What do we do as individuals that really want to reach out to the world around us for the gospel's sake? Well, notice, first of all, in verse 19, he gives us, I believe, step one of the strategy, and that is that he restricted himself. He restricted himself. And what do you mean, preacher, by he restricted himself? Well, look, verse 19. Notice what Paul says. For though I am free from all men, I want you to understand something. That when Jesus Christ saved you, he sets you free. Amen? You're free from sin. But listen, Paul says he's not really obligated to anybody. He's, he's not a slave to anybody. He is free. He's not, a, he's not in slavery. Paul had his own life that he could live. He could live it the way he wanted to live it. So, and by the way, that's what most people do. <laughs> most people do what they want to do. That's what I learned a long time ago. You know, when I fret as a young preacher about why people don't come to church more often or why don't they participate in this more often. I learned a long time ago working in a garden with an old farmer who told me, preacher, you got to quit fretting over that stuff because people are going to do what people want to do. And I said, pops, thanks for telling me that. Now I give them permission to do what they're going to do because that's what people are going to do anyway. So Paul says that in this reality that he's living this life, he is free. He is not obligated to anybody. But notice how he restricts that. See, there is this wide, broad freedom that he has, but he doesn't use that freedom as a license to be free from individuals. That's most of us. Most of us use our freedom not to reach people, 
but just the opposite, to do our own thing. Paul says, I'm going to use my freedom. No, no, I'm not really. Paul says, I'm going to give up my freedom for the gospel's sake. Notice in verse 19, he says, for though I am free from all men, I have made, present tense, aorist. I have made, Paul has set it down. Paul has said, I have become. That's what he means. I have become a servant of all. Literally, that's what it means in the Greek. So what Paul is saying, he is restricting himself. So even though he's got all this freedom in the world to live his life, to do his thing the way he wants to do it, what Paul has said is he has decided, he has, to, he has decided to lay it all down to become literally the doulos, the servant of everybody else. Now you're saying that's a hard place to be. And it is. To realize that you have placed yourself as the servant of everybody else. But notice what he says in the text. He has a purpose in mind. He says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Paul says, I restricted myself, laying down my freedom that I have in order to be the slave of everybody else for the sole purpose that I may win people to Jesus. Now listen, Paul saves nobody. You don't save anybody. All right. Only God does the saving. Let's make that straight and clear. That is not what Paul is saying is that he saves people. Paul is just saying though, that he has the opportunity to share the gospel with more and more and more people when he quits living for himself and he begins to live for the gospel. Think about that for a minute. How much more opportunity would we have if we made ourselves more alert, more aware of the people that are around us? That is that we would see ourselves as a servant to them. Last week, we called ourselves a debtor. We are indebted to lost people. What are we indebted to them for? The gospel. To tell them about the love of Christ, that he has died on the cross, rose from the dead, and he did that for them. We have the opportunity before us, but we'll never take advantage of the opportunity if we don't see ourselves as enslaved to the gospel and to other people. So we will tell them. Does that make sense? Because we're too busy living life out here on our own. Amen. We're too busy in the freedom that we have living free. And so we don't necessarily feel this obligation. Wednesday night, we've been talking about heaven and I got down to talking about The gospel is in those Revelation 21. As he's talking about heaven, he gives the gospel. And we talked about those people who will receive the gospel. Then we talk about those who will not be in heaven. And somebody said to me, do we really believe that? If we really believe that there would be people who will not be in heaven, who will go to hell, then why is it that we feel so comfortable? And I said, it's not that we don't believe it. It's that we are too preoccupied with self, with life, with things around us that we have sort of pushed it, pushed it aside. Does that make sense? It's almost like we become desensitized like we do when we watch the news and there's another murder. <laughs> oh, just another murder. It almost seems today like it's with shootings, you know. It's like the more and more they report shootings, the more and more we become a little desensitized to people getting killed around the United States. And so Paul says what we have to do, ladies and gentlemen, as we begin as the children of God to realize that we have immense freedom in Jesus Christ, but my freedom is not a license for me to go do my own thing, but rather I should be devoting myself as a servant to all people in order that I may have the opportunity to share the gospel. Now, what does that look like? Practically, what does that look like? Because I think we have to ask ourselves that question. 
Paul says, okay, I restrict myself. I become a slave to everybody for the gospel. So what does that look like, Paul? In your life, what does that look like? How can I look into your life and see the way in which you're doing that? Well, point number two, strategy number two, is that Paul then begins to release himself. Now, when Paul released himself, what did he do? He released himself to live as a slave for all people. And what did that look practically like? Notice in the text of verse 20, or verse 20, the first group of people, he said, and to the Jews, that is to his fellow countrymen, those who were Jewish by virtue of their bloodline, Jewish in their religious practice. He says, so for those Jews, he says, I became as a Jew. Now I want you to think about that for a minute because what Paul is saying is that he is identifying with the Jewish people. Now he's Jewish, that's pretty easy for him. You can remember that he was raised by Gamel and he, that means he, he had a strong, strict, pharisaical education of the Bible. So he was very theologically astute, very smart when it comes to the Old Testament law, very intelligent. But Paul, if you remember Paul, not only did he have that great theological training, but listen, he was a Pharisee himself. He was rising in the ranks and even trusted. You remember we talked about Acts 9 last week where he was on the way to kill Christians. He was even trusted, Seth, with some great authority by the, the rest of the Sanhedrin to go and to punish the rest of the Christians. That's his education. There's his rising up in the Jewish ranks. And Paul says now he had to become like a Jew in order to win Jews. Now, what does he mean by that? What he means is that if it meant that when he was to meet with fellow Jews, that he not eat brisket, well, he probably could eat brisket, I guess. He couldn't eat ribs, could he? You know, that he would not eat the ribs on the table, then that's what he would refrain from eating. You see what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, we see, we see Paul doing a little bit of this when he takes Timothy on the journey with him. You remember when he takes Timothy? Timothy was a half-breed. He was half-Greek. He was half-Jew. But in order not to be offensive, when he went into the synagogue to preach, he circumcised Timothy. Not that circumcision saved him. He was already saved. But it opened the door. It gave him an opportunity to preach the gospel. And so he says, I became as a Jew. That is, I lived as though I couldn't eat pork anymore. That the Sabbath was the most important day. He says, I'll do that. And I'll do all of that for the only for the opportunity that it gives me to preach the gospel. Now notice what Paul says next. Paul says, but I also did that for those who what? Who were under the law. Again, I think he's referring back to Jews again. I think he's going back to maybe more of a legalistic Jewish mindset. He says, so for those who are under the law, that is, they're following some kind of law like Ten Commandment law or the 460 oral traditional laws that were given throughout the time that, you know, they, they wrote down and thought that this was God speaking when it really wasn't God speaking. It was stuff that they made up along the journey. And so Paul says, I do that. I, I become as one under the law. It's okay for me. I don't have a problem, you know, you know, restricting myself, but then releasing myself in order to live this way in order that it's not going to hurt my conscience. I'm not going to break any biblical commandments and I'm going to do that so I can reach other people. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So he says to the Jews, to those who are under the law, but notice what he says in the text. This is very important. You need to under, understand this next verse, verse 21. Listen to what he says. He says, to those who are without the law, as without the law. Now, I want you to hold your place there and think about something. Because Paul is now talking about the Greek culture. He's talking about Gentiles. They do not have the Mosaic law. 
They do not have the Ten Commandments. That is not imputed into their system. As a matter of fact, they are more pagan than the rest of the world. Now, it's important that you understand a great principle here. And I've got to put the brakes on so that you will understand where I'm going. Years ago, there was a man who was a a great missionary preacher who preached on the streets of New Orleans. And he preached on the street of New Orleans, and he told a lot of people about the love of Christ. And he would talk to anybody. He talked to a drunk. He talked to a businessman. He would talk to a doctor, a lawyer. He would talk to the trash man. He talked to a lot of people. But the problem becomes, ladies and gentlemen, if you become all things to all people, but you remain unguarded about your life, you become like them. And so what happened is that this man fell into sin. And he fell into the sin and the, and the sin of the people that were around him. Now, did he go out with the intention of becoming that kind of sinner? No, he did not. But he kept his life unchecked. Listen to what Paul is saying. Paul says that I'm ministering, I'm becoming as one who is without the law so that I can win them. But notice what he says in those bracketed words. Very crucial, very important. Don't miss the point because listen, in our journey of becoming all things to all men, in our journey of being like them and hanging out with them in order for the opportunity to share the gospel, we must always remember, we must always keep ourselves in the place of God. Does that make sense? So listen to what he says in the middle of that verse. He says, as to those who are without the law, he says, being without the law. But then he says this, not being without the law toward God. What is Paul saying there? Two things he's going to say in that little short bracket. And number one, here's what he's saying. As you and I go and we minister to people who are of various people, that is, whether it may be drunks or whether it may be dope addicts, whether it may be somebody who's a businessman or a doctor or a lawyer, and we rub elbows with them and we live life reaching out to them. And by the way, I'm an advocate that we need to reach all people. Amen? That is what we're called to do. It doesn't matter whether they're you know, wealthy or non-wealthy. It doesn't matter. Okay, we ought to reach all people. So that's going to require, by the way, that we get like Paul and we become a, a Jew to the Jews and, a, and a un, not under the law to those not under the law. But we need to remember as we do that, that there is a law that we have towards God. Now, what is it? Here's what Paul is saying. There is a moral standard that I do not cross. Amen. There is a biblical, let's put it this way. There is a biblical guideline in which I do not cross. As I am rubbing elbows with Jews, I am rubbing my elbows with those who are Greeks and non-Christians. As I do that, I must always remind myself that God expects me not to live in sin. Amen? I am keeping myself in spiritual check as I minister and reach other people. Now listen, you got to listen very carefully with your ears. Because you got to understand what I'm trying to say. I am not saying that we become arrogant and puffed up and live our way in such a way that when we're around them, we go, see, I'm not going to do that because I'm better than you. No, but we live our life in the moral standard and character that God requires of us, that God expects of us as followers of Christ without all the arrogance and all the pomp and the circumstances around it. So if I'm with somebody, for example, when I was in New Jersey this past summer, Somebody made a comment that on my Facebook page, I was sitting at a table with a bunch of beers on the table. Well, first of all, I didn't drink a single beer. Uh, If I did, I wouldn't confess it to you. I'm just kidding. 
I did not drink a single beer, but those sitting around the table did. But what a great opportunity for me to be around those people and tell them about Jesus. You know why? Because they're my family and I love them. And I found out this week, my little brother got saved. So I just rejoice. Yes, praise the Lord. Amen. Amazing. Blew my mind. Praise God for that. So, so as we rub elbows, we may not do the things they're doing. And, and I don't want to pick on drinking. I want to pick on smoking. Listen, I'm just trying to tell you that when, whatever that may be, wherever you may be reaching those people, that doesn't mean we engage and participate and let our moral character come down. No, we are still living for Christ. And by the way, not only is there this moral conduct, this moral law that keeps me in check, but the most important one, notice what he says in verse 22 again. He says, or verse 21 rather, he says, not being without law toward God, but he says this, but under law toward Christ. What is the most governing law of all? It's love. It's love. How am I loving somebody who is lost if I'm just living like them? That's not loving them. Amen? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about becoming all things to all men. He's not talking about to a Jew, I become a Jew. That is, that means everything that they do that's immoral, wrong, that he's going to participate in. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying, he's talking about some cultural things. Talking about food. Talking about maybe going to a sporting event. He's talking about those kinds of things by which we can reach people and love on people. But listen, the love of Christ compels me that I'm not going to live wicked. I'm not going to drop everything that I believe. And then let me tell you another thing, and this is not in the text. I'm just going to put it as a sidebar because I think it fits in the text very well that when you and I are ministering to people and we come side by side and we rub elbows with them, if they are anti-gospel, that is if they continue in your efforts to continue to share the gospel with them and try to make an impact in their life, if they are anti-Christ, if they are anti-scripture, if they continue that rhetoric, the first thing you need to do is separate yourselves. Let's not forget when Jesus sent the 12 out, he sent them out. And he says, when you go to a house, right? If they bring you in, there'll be blessings on that house. But if they reject you, do what? Don't stand there and argue with them. Some people want to argue the horns off a billy goat. Amen. Don't, don't argue with them. He says, shake the dust off your feet. That'll be a testimony against them and go on. And it needs to be the same thing in our lives. As we rub elbows with people and we love on people, there comes a point in time where they become anti-gospel, anti-Christ, and it begins to affect your moral character. It begins to affect your walk with Christ. It's time to shake the dust off your feet and press on. Make sense? So the first thing we got to understand is we are enslaved to all people. Same as being a debtor. The second thing he says is that we are to excuse me, release ourselves, not compromising the truth as we come alongside people and as we love them. He continues, by the way, in verse 22, to the weak I became as a weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might win or by all means save some. Now that word save is in kin to win. So they are kin words. Six times he says the whole point of his life is to share the gospel that people get saved. That ought to be the focus of our lives. Notice how driven he is. Whether it's I'm with Jews or whether it's I'm with those under the law or those without the law or with the Gentiles or he says all people. My whole purpose, my whole goal is to impart the gospel of Jesus Christ that somebody hopefully through the foolishness of preaching will get saved. Amen? That's his whole point. Now as we wrap up, 
Notice how he brings that to a head when he talks about in the latter part of reducing himself. So Paul, isn't it interesting that Paul restricted himself, released himself. So Paul restricted himself, I'm a slave to all men, but at the same time, all people are included that he's gonna reach. He don't mind talking to anybody. He don't mind being around anybody for the gospel's sake. But then he comes back and he reduces himself down to this one statement. Listen to what he says. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. What a great cap off. What a great reminder. And he says that I may partake of it with you. Two things Paul says and will be done. As you and I begin to reach people and we minister to people and love on people that are out there in the world, we're doing that for the gospel's sake. That is, we're doing that because the gospel, listen, the gospel is the only thing that will change a heart. You can counsel people, you can encourage people, you can pray for people, but the gospel is the only thing that will change their heart. All right? So we want to make it about the gospel. The second thing he says is that it is a delight and it is a joy that when you share the gospel and people get saved, that we are partakers together. Isn't that awesome? In other words, he's saying to the Corinthian church, I believe he's saying, some disagree on this, but I I believe what he's saying to the Corinthian church is that we are, again, partners for the gospel's sake. We are working together to see lost people come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How so? By loving all men, remaining a Christian, remaining our moral standard as a believer, but still loving all men to the point that I'm willing to become all things to them in order to win them. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? That's what we're called to do. That's what you and I are called to do. And that's what we have an opportunity to do this Easter. Because 82%, listen, 82% of unchurched people said they'll come to church if you just ask them. The problem is we're not asking. So let's get out there and ask. Amen? Let's get out there and become slaves to all men that will be obligated to them, that will tell them the gospel And we'll tell them about Jesus. And if we can't get that far, let's bring them to church. Because your preacher would tell them. I guarantee it. I'll tell them. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.